Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What is good, everybody? Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Off Day Debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I am Rob Stats Guerrero. He is Brandon Lee Gowden. Good morning, BLG. Stats, I can't believe you've never had a McGrill. Not in my whole life. 36 years. Is that bad? Um, I mean, it's probably not bad for you, but, uh, and obviously <laughs> McDonald's is not a sponsor here. We're really just really giving them some free advertising. But, uh, I mean, I feel like you have to have one. I almost want to make a bet with you at some point. Uh, like RJ and Pete are doing on Mondays uh, with the, the burrito thing. But then I feel like that's kind of stealing it. And uh, we can't be associated too closely with that podcast. So I guess we can't do it. But at some point, I feel like I'm going to need to get you to eat a McGriddle. All right. Maybe it, when we get together for the Super Bowl, we can uh, we can hook that up. I've, I usually go Egg McMuffin if I go to McDonald's breakfast. I like the Egg McMuffin. I think that's fair. I like it too. Uh, I haven't had McDonald's breakfast, in fairness, to myself or to you. From myself in a long time, but I, I feel like, I mean, you have to try it at least once. It's, it's just crazy to me that you and, and nor RJ have ever tried it, but uh, yeah. we, we have much more pressing things to get to stats than uh, McGriddles. That's true. So this is the show where we reset the state of the league every week. We usually like to do power rankings for you, and this week is no exception. We are going to power rank the rookie quarterbacks because you went to school this weekend, BLG. You have been studying, you've been watching every single throw, and you have ranked them in terms of your confidence in them going forward. Stats, that is correct. Uh, now, to be clear, this is the five first round quarterbacks here. You know, not I, I didn't, you know, go through uh, Kel- all of Kellamon. I watched some of him or, uh, you know, uh, the Houston Texans quarterback that I can't even think of right Davis now. Davis Mills. Yeah, Davis Mills. I totally just blanked on his name because it doesn't matter. You know, these are, <laughs> these are the premier names, stats that people really care about. And uh, five is a nice, uh, it's not an even number, but it's a good number. Um, stats, are you the kind of person when you listen to something like on, like, let's say, like, you know, TV volume or whatever, you have to have it on an even number? No. Okay. Yeah, no, I listen to my ears. I put it on whatever number I need to hear it. Now I got to put the captions on everything because I'm old. I'm a big captions guy. You got to have the captions. Uh, it's not even just about the hearing. Sometimes I just like there's different pronunciations or some scenes are just quieter than others. And like, I just, I miss something. I, I need the captions there. Um, sometimes I feel like they can kind of spoil things, but you know, mm-hmm. uh, I'll live with that. I kind of would rather have that than uh, not understand a line or misinterpret something. Um, but when, when I'm listening to something stats and like, you know, let's say, or even like a temperature, like in the car, uh, I have to have it on an even number. I can't have it on an odd number unless it's a five. <laughs> I'm okay with a five because that's like halfway between. You know? What? Oh, it's, what? oh yeah. Like, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. It makes total sense. Like I can Ooh. do 70, I can do 75, I can do 80, but I can't do like 73. Like what are we doing at that point? I keep my house at 73 degrees, so you, oh you would not be comfortable at the uh, Casa de Guerrera. I uh, want to also mention before we get started here, we're going to talk with Lee Adams, one of the hosts of the Glad You Asked show, uh, Vox's streaming show on YouTube. Uh, he had an interesting pod about race and medicine and how that pertains to the NFL concussion lawsuit. So I talked with him for about 15 minutes. So after we do the power rankings, we'll take a break uh, and then we'll get to Lee. Really interesting interview. And basically what it comes down to is we all have maybe been getting incorrect medical treatment for our entire lives so you know that's not concerning at all uh let's get to the power rankings blg who do you have uh, it's number five are we okay starting at number five is that allowed we, we have to start at the bottom uh work to the top because you, you know you're building more suspense that way it's an odd number uh well look we'll do it it'll be fine it, it's a five <laughs> so that's fine uh, i'm gonna start at the bottom Stats, and by that, I am starting at number one overall in the NFL draft this past year with Trevor Lawrence. Uh, wow. So you're saying Trevor Lawrence, you have the least confidence in right now. 
Well, just based on, you know, again, this is just based off of one game. This isn't based off of his entire career. We're just, you know, putting this in a vacuum uh, and judging it off the first preseason game. Obviously, you know, I think I'm not panicking about his career just yet. But based on what we saw from the first week and out of these five rookie first round pick quarterbacks, I just was least inspired by what I saw out of him. Now, in fairness, Mm. he didn't play a ton. Um, so, you know, it's not the biggest sample size here. And like before I even get into Trevor Lawrence stats, I kind of want to give a disclaimer for preseason in general. It's like, how much do you make of it? I remember once upon a time, Sam Bradford going up to Green Bay and going like 10 for 10 and every Eagles fan in Philadelphia thinking that, uh, the team was going to win the Super Bowl that year. <laughs> so uh, sometimes, you know, preseason, not the most telling thing. But for Trevor Lawrence, I mean, he completed six of his nine passes for 71 yards. Uh, he had one really good throw uh, that I thought he gave his wide receiver a chance to make a jump ball catch on, and the wide receiver did. Maybe a little underthrown, but still big completion. But beyond that, like my biggest notes on him were he held the ball for too long. He actually had the highest percentage of pressure uh, like assigned to the quarterback by PFF in terms of like he was inviting pressure and sacks and everything. Also didn't like this one throw where he threw off his back foot uh, fading away. I think he kind of did that a couple of times for incompletion. So uh, I don't think necessarily his offensive line situation might have been the best because like the Browns were getting a lot of pressure on him. But uh, yeah, just didn't see a whole lot out of T-Law. The first thing that jumped out to me, he wears the smallest shoulder pads I've ever seen. Like, I didn't even know if he had shoulder pads on. That's how small it was. I'm going to date myself, but it reminded me of Ed McCaffrey back in the day. Like, just the tiniest shoulder pads I've ever seen. I, I Am I the only one that noticed that? Uh, I guess now that you say it, I kind of see it. Um, those shoulder pads certainly didn't uh, help him from getting sacked. Uh, didn't, <laughs> there wasn't like less uh, shoulder pads to for people to grab on because he was sacked twice. Uh, and even I believe after the game, Urban Meyer did say that he was uh, holding on to the ball for a little too long once to see that uh, sped up, which, you know, I'm sure it will. I mean, or there's a good chance it will. They'll work it out. We get more comfortable in the offense. Uh, but if this offensive line as bad as it is, as bad as it was <laughs> against the Browns, well, then I think Trevor Lawrence could uh, have some uh, growing pains to go through. And I'm not like you. I don't want to make any conclusions off of one preseason game, especially the first preseason game. But I will say and have said from the beginning that I'm not willing to just blatantly put down that Trevor Lawrence is going to be the best quarterback in this class just because he was picked first overall or just because, you know, people seem to think he's this generational prospect. Like, Many, 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 many times in the last 20 years, the first quarterback picked has not been the best overall in the draft. I would have liked to see him use his mobility a little bit more, BOG. I didn't, he was, you know, he wasn't Lamar Jackson at Clemson, but he could move around for sure. And I felt like he didn't really do that when we saw him over the weekend. That's a good point. Yeah, when I was watching every throw, I didn't really see him uh, roll out a whole lot, seem confined to the pocket. Maybe that was part of the goal. Kind of, because that's, you know, that's what preseason about too, like figuring out different things, just like, you know, I'm guessing uh, in baseball, certain pitchers are like working on different pitches that they might not necessarily use the same amount uh, when the real season gets underway. So uh, it could be, you know, that was part of the case where they didn't really want him to run around as much and kind of see what he could do from the pocket. Uh, But yeah, if that's the case, uh, then (laughs) I would hope in, you know, the real games, he does use his mobility a little bit more. Who is number four on your list? Number four on my list stats is Zach Wilson from the mm-hmm. New York Football Jets. And you got the New York Football Giants, you got the New York Football Jets as well. Also completed six of nine passes, like Trevor Lawrence did, this for only 63 yards. Um, I don't think we this there wasn't like a whole lot to go off of here. It didn't seem like the Jets were really trying to show much and like showcase him at all. Uh, a lot of quick throws, which I gave him as a plus for getting rid of the ball quickly and seeming decisive. He had a really good the, the standout throw to me. He had an opposite hash throw on an out route uh, completion for a first down, and that's like you know everyone talks about the arm strength, and I think uh, I mentioned this before on the oddcast stats, but we talk about like arm strength. We think about like throws down the field like a deep ball but when in actuality like the arm strength really shows up on something like that when you're going opposite hash and making a really nice completion like that like that's not necessarily as fancy or as sexy as a deep ball but that kind of throw is like not a throw necessarily every quarterback can make so you saw the the arm uh strength and quality there he had a couple off target throws but i I didn't really think like to make a whole lot out of them so didn't really just get the strongest impression out of him in preseason game one 
Yeah, I totally agree with your point. Distance for arm strength is one thing. Velocity is another. Yes. And when you you have to, there's a line. Like, you have to be tall enough to ride the bumper cars. There are some routes that you just cannot run if your quarterback doesn't have enough velocity on his throws. And as a 49ers fan, I know this because I can tell you for a fact that Jimmy Garoppolo cannot throw out routes to the sideline because it's just not, the ball is not fast enough. Defensive backs have enough time to adjust and step into the passing lane. And so the fact that Wilson can do that, I think, is a really good sign. You know, the Jets are the only one of these teams that I feel like they're not pulling any punches. They're not trying to play games. Zach Wilson's the starter. Everybody knows it. They're not doing this fake like, whoa, he's got to earn it. Like, No, there's no one else even close to competing with him on the roster. And so I agree. I think that they don't want to show too much. They just want to go get him exposure, try to get him comfortable. It's the first game. I do like now, BLG, that like this week is the dress rehearsal now for the NFL season because we only play three preseason games. So this week is like you're going to see the starters and the ones in a lot more, which is great. We don't have that stupid dummy week to worry about in game number four where everybody's just praying that nobody gets hurt. But I like what the Jets are doing with Wilson. I think in in the offense that the Jets are going to run, which is the Kyle Shanahan offense, they're going to put him in positions to be successful. I don't love the Jets' weapons. Yeah, They're not horrible. They're certainly better than they have been, I think. Um, so I think that they could you know, do a little bit more around him. But I think Wilson's going to be in a position this year where at the end of the year you're going to be like, okay, the Jets got their guy. Like You're going to know. And that's valuable because the clock's ticking on that rookie deal. Yeah, kind of like Lawrence. I wonder, like, part of watching uh, the quarterback made me just wonder, like, how much help he's really going to get because it didn't look like a lot uh, early on. And it almost made me think, like, do the Jets really just want Zach Wilson to get rid of the ball quickly here, make sure he's not, like, holding on to it and taking a big hit in the preseason? Like, just get some work in, we'll get a couple drives in, and then we're going to get you the heck out of there because we don't want you getting hurt uh, and taking all these hits and holding on to the ball. So, uh, yeah, I just that's kind of a common theme with both of the top a uh, couple picks here in the NFL draft this year, just like not necessarily. I don't think they're like taking over the league just yet, and, and not necessarily of you know fault of their own. Again, I just I don't think they're in the in the best situations, which isn't a shocker again to say about some of the worst teams in the league last year. But but you can kind of see the beginnings of that. I, at least I felt like the thing with Wilson that I feel like you didn't really get to see. I feel like his biggest attribute is throwing on the move, throwing on the run, maybe altering your arm angle, depending on where the defense is to try and make a throw downfield. A lot of the things that I had heard about him was that he had a similar style to Patrick Mahomes, where he, there was a lot of different things he could do on the run in terms of arm angle and getting the ball out that were really impressive and really excited. A lot of people, we didn't necessarily get to see that over the weekend. Hopefully we will this week, but uh, that could be sort of one aspect of his game. That's kind of under wraps right now. All right, so why don't we go to my number three stats, which is just going to light the NFL world on fire as they're <laughs> reacting to the podcast, as everyone nationally listens to this. I have Justin Fields as number three. Wow, real? Okay, that, that is surprising to me. Number three, Justin Fields. Okay, tell me why. Well, it shouldn't be surprising from the fact that I am, you know, I, I've been skeptical about Justin Fields in the past, as you may recall, from our uh, NFC Draft Winners and Losers podcast that we did once upon a time, you, me, and RJ. Uh, look, I think Justin Fields, I get why people are excited, and I'm not trying to harsh the Bears fans mellow in terms <laughs> of having hope. I think hope is fine. But stats, the way I saw people talk about that Justin Fields performance, like I didn't watch it live. I couldn't. Uh, it was like training camp, I believe, on Saturday. And I had I was doing like my notes. I was recording my podcast on BGN Radio with Jimmy Kemsky. So I was busy on Saturday. But I got around to the replay. And I'm like, what am I missing here? Like people were talking about Justin Fields. Like he's the next like Joe Montana or something. Like he's like or Steve Young, or, like the best quarterback they've ever seen. Or Patrick Mahomes. Like he was not that. From what I saw, I mean, Justin Fields and the Bears offense start out with three straight three and outs. Uh, they get into the second half. The Dolphins have their backups in, and he does better against them. Uh, the touchdown throw he had that everyone was so excited about. I mean, the guy was literally Jesse James, I think it was. Yep. Literally, like, wide open, walked yes. into the end zone backwards. There wasn't anyone within, like, <laughs> 20 yards of him. Okay, it's a nice throw, but, like, okay, he's wide open. Uh, he had the longest time to throw in the NFL, which RJ mentioned this on Monday, but 
the exact timing stats was 3.76 seconds on average time to throw for context here jalen hurts led the nfl in terms of holding on to the ball last year and that was 3.34 seconds so 0.4 seconds more which is like a lot that's a that's a very big in the nfl that's a lot yeah it's huge now uh the other couple things i had here threw off his back foot and nearly got picked off over the middle on an underthrown pass and he also fumbled in a very careless way where he like did this spin move and he was holding on to the football with like just one hand and uh he got stripped and he was super lucky to recover that so I saw the highlights. I saw a bunch of Eagles fans stats, and this is very relevant because a lot of Eagles fans are keeping an eye on Justin Fields because Mm -hmm. they feel like, oh, they should have just stayed at six and taken him there. Or you could have gotten him, you know, at 10 instead of taking Devontae Smith. I think I have not been on that. And I have said before that I think the Bears are getting way too much benefit of the doubt with Justin Fields. And I think everything about Justin Fields has been confirmation bias. It's like, like, oh, Justin Fields plays well, he's going to be great. I knew it all along, but then he has these struggles and I didn't see anything about them until I watched it myself. Right. And you got to take the good with the bad. I feel like, like you said, people want hope, right? So we want to be excited about these guys and it's sort of assumed that rookie quarterbacks are going to make mistakes. So when they do, we don't talk about those as much, but I agree. I mean, the past to Jesse James, that's a, that's a 49er staple. It's called leak. They run it all the time. That play is always freaking open. It's unbelievable. And the guy, there was nobody within 10 yards of him. Like, if Justin Fields can't hit that guy, like, you got real problems. I did like the fact that, I mean, he can run, BLG. He is fast. Uh, So that he was one, the only guy, basically, because all these guys are pretty mobile, except for Mac Jones. He was really the only guy I felt like that looked to, to use his legs. And he looks like when he wants to, he's going to be able to. But as you pointed out, I mean, that spin move. He randomly hits the B button on the controller and the ball pops out. Like sometimes being a quarterback, is all about the worst thing that you do. Mm. And that was really, really bad by fields. He shouldn't have done that. Um, I think that he was okay. I agree. I'm not like throwing any parades for Justin Fields. He certainly wasn't bad. There's some stuff to be excited about, but ultimately it's going to come down to how good he is as a passer and Everybody's not going to be as open as Jesse James was. When you can go into the end zone backwards, like you mentioned, that's not a typical football play. So we'll see. I think the Bears are stupid, however, for how they're handling Justin Fields. Like Matt Nagy said yesterday, well, we want to see more of Andy Dalton. Like, why? Why? We've seen, what, 10 years of Andy Dalton? A decade is not enough? Like, what are you hoping for if you're the Bears, right? Like, this isn't like the Vikings with Warren Moon. Remember when Warren Moon came back and it was like, holy crap, he's really, really good. Well, he's throwing a Randy Moss and Chris Carter, number one. But also, number two, prime Warren Moon was a Hall of Famer. The best Andy Dalton we've ever seen is not really that good. So now Andy Dalton now at this point, like even if he recaptured his his form, it's still not that great. So like, what are you doing with those Andy Dalton? We need to see more. He's still QB1. Like, why? I think it comes to a point in the coach's mind maybe where it's like it's so much easier to go from Andy Dalton to Justin Fields than it is if like Justin Fields come in comes in and he really struggles and then you would have to go to Andy Dalton, which you shouldn't do. That wouldn't be right. my preference. But I think in their mind, that's how they feel like they would have to do, which is silly and dumb. The only benefit <laughs> I can see uh, from this stats is that, you know, maybe there was some concerns, whatever, about uh, and not just Justin Fields, but any kind of young quarterback. And I'm, I'm all for making a guy earn it. I get it. I think that makes sense um, because you want to light a fire under someone. And I've seen different players in the past uh, in different sports, not just even in football, who arrived or like think they arrived and they kind of got a little too big for their britches. And then they fell off because they maybe they weren't being you know held accountable and everything so i think some accountability is nice but obviously you know when push comes to shove it should be justin fields playing like no one disagrees with that i think at all in the entire world other than maybe andy dalton himself and his family (laughs) and mrs Uh, dalton (laughs) and mrs dalton and i did write mobility down as a big plus for justin fields and it wasn't just about like him actually running with the football but extending plays as well and then making throws after that so i definitely agree with you on that i just think you know having as much time to throw as he did is not going to 
be the norm and there's gonna be a lot of sacks and mistakes if he continues to not get the ball out doesn't be like the quickest thrower in the league all of a sudden but it has to be a little bit quicker than that super slow release time that i saw from the first game so i i'm I'm saying on justin fields i'm not saying he's not talented or there's no hope i'm saying like can we just wait a little bit before like it just seems like the consensus opinion to me stats is like justin fields he's amazing how did all these teams pass on him well like sometimes there's reasons why teams pass on guys and it's not as like this total oh just total mistake And, and again for the Bears of all teams to be the team that like has has not made good quarterback decisions in the past, like why are we just giving them the benefit of the doubt automatically? But at this point, I'm just rehashing my old argument, so uh, we don't have to dive into it again. Two quarterbacks left. I am stunned at who is left on this list. But who do you have at number two? I have your boy Trey Lance. Wow, stats. you and PFF disagree because they they rated Lance the worst of all the quarterbacks. I saw that. And so what I'm going with here, and obviously, you know, you look at the stat line from the box score, it's not great. It's five, he completed just five is 14 attempts. So under 50%, not good for 120 yards and a touchdown. Now, there were four drops in here, which I think you have to certainly account for. I think there was some poor blocking from what I saw. Oh, I saw God. Lance getting just like like immediately sacked or, or, and but uh what I have written down for him on the positives and my plus category along with the drops were I just like the great long touchdown pass he had that was an opposite hash throw stats yes and I think it was pointed out in the broadcast so I know this too where he didn't give that away at all like he totally had the defense fooled like thinking he was looking one way and then until he threw the ball to the other side of the field, so they didn't see it coming. That was a perfect throw. That was like a wow kind of play. Like the ceiling of that throw makes me more excited about Trey Lance's potential than anything I saw from uh, Justin Fields. I think you can say Justin Fields, like in a vacuum, might have had the better day on uh, over the weekend. But I think the upside of Trey Lance, which is why the 49ers got him, you know, presumably because of what he can become, not necessarily what he is right now. That was intriguing to me. Now, a couple of the quick negatives that I'll point out, I think with that pressure, he was dropping his eyes a little bit too much. I didn't like to see that. Uh, he also was a little too loose of the football as well, stats. You got to get that two-handed monster. He just had the one hand on the football, <laughs> you, you know, uh, fortunate to recover it, but it was knocked down. And he also had a drop pick at one point that I saw. So, uh, uh, but overall, I think I saw a player with a high ceiling here couple of things one when he threw that touchdown pass john lynch was actually in the booth uh which was sort of a cool thing to see and hear he lynch pointed this out and i loved it too what lynch said was on that deep touchdown pass brandon Ayuk is crossing the field and he has his man beat and if lance wanted to he could dump it off to Ayuk and probably get like 15 to 20 yards because he had some room to run after the catch but he didn't do that Instead, he held the ball. He looked to attack the defense deep down the field. And like you said, he dropped a perfect ball. And I don't know what Tim Ryan was saying on the broadcast or anybody else about it being an ugly ball. You hit the receiver in stride 50 yards down the field. There ain't nothing wrong with that. So I like the fact that he passed up Ayuk, didn't go short, because Jimmy Garoppolo is going short to Ayuk there for sure, which is why you picked Trey Lance. Garoppolo is not physically capable of making that throw, like you said. Far hash, 50 yards in the air. Jimmy just cannot do it. That's why you picked Trey Lance. I loved the play. I love that Shanahan dialed it up, right? Like he could have called like a screen pass or a slant or something conservative. The first play Lance was in, Shanahan called a deep shot, which wasn't open. So Lance had to look elsewhere. And then that was his second throw in the NFL was that deep bomb. So Shanahan was looking to make Trey Lance look good. I think another thing that I liked at Trey Lance is that he didn't really like try to run the ball too much. Like he could have done that. He could have used that as a crutch, but again, preseason being the time to kind of work on maybe your, some of your weaknesses. I thought he tried a lot of things in the passing game and there were some accurate throws in there um, and there were some issues, but I think some of that can be cleaned up again. He's super young. He's super inexperienced. I am betting on the upside and the potential here. Um, kind of giving him a little bit more benefit of the doubt because of that, because I don't think he's this finished product. So I think it was very encouraging from the standpoint of like, wow, we saw why we saw why the 49ers traded up for this guy. Like he might, can he be this guy consistently that much? Very much remains to be seen, but like the ceiling is there. It's not like, oh, like what is the upside with this player? Like, like what was the ever the upside with Mitchell Trubisky? You know, like what was the best thing like we ever saw out of him that like made you feel like, wow, this could be like, 
an MVP kind of candidate or like, you know, one of the top five. Like you never saw that. You never saw that ceiling. You're seeing some of the ceiling with Trey Lance. I will say that the 49ers, I feel like, are doing a hideous job handling the whole quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance thing. Kyle Shanahan says it's not a competition. Jimmy Garoppolo says it is a competition. John Lynch said, well, it's Jimmy's job, but Trey is pushing. They're doing way too much talking about the whole situation. They're not helping themselves at all. And again, like I've been saying all show, go with the rookie. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. The best Jimmy Garoppolo you've ever seen was 2019, and that prompted you to, number one, consider immediately getting rid of him for 43-year-old Tom Brady, and number two, drafting Trey Lance third overall. So if that's the if the best Jimmy Garoppolo you've ever seen has made you say, we got to get better at the quarterback spot, that should tell you all you need to know. And, and to use Trey Lance in these, you know, specific packages that doesn't make any sense to me like remember when you got shoes for school i don't know how it was for you but for me like a week before school started my mom would take me to buy shoes and i would get shoes and at first the rule was don't wear the shoes outside until school starts Mm -hmm. you can only wear them inside you got to keep them clean you got to keep them nice then once school starts it's like okay you could wear them to school but if you're going to play outside when you get home you got to take them off keep them nice wear your other shoes but at some point the new school shoes just become your regular shoes that you wear all the time. And I think for the 49ers, it's time to just make Trey Lance the regular shoes. Stop letting him only come out when he's at school and instead just put him in the rest of the time. You're going to be better for it. The 49ers need to do it and they need to stop pretending like that's not the plan here and just do it already. What is the percentage chance that Trey Lance starts week one? I think it's like 70-30 that he starts a week one. I think mm. Kyle want if Kyle didn't want any possibility of that, he would have called the game plan that he called for Jimmy Garoppolo. You know Garoppolo's average depth of target on Saturday night, BLG? One yard. 1.4 yards. That was it. Hey. You know what Trey Lance's was? 11.4. <laughs> like, if Kyle didn't want him to look good and set him up to be the starter, why would he call the game like that? Uh, that's a pretty good guess by me. I was just kind of being uh, facetious, <laughs> but uh, it worked out for me that time. Well, because it's always under two with Jimmy Garoppolo. That's the thing. And I think Kyle's tired of it. We know you love Jimmy G, and we know you think he should start. But So that brings us to the number one quarterback on our list, which I guess you already know by now, by default, uh, maybe surprising to you. It's Mac Jones. Stats, I have Mac McCorkle Jones. <laughs> Number one on my list. And now, look, I've had a little bit uh, of inside experience here. So in addition to watching him in the preseason the other night, I saw him on Monday at Eagles training camp because they're in town. Patriots are in town for joint training camp practices. So I'll get to that part in a bit. But what I like from Mac Jones in general is just like he looked in command of the offense. Like didn't look like a rookie out there. I thought he ran it pretty efficiently. He had a really good touchdown throw that was dropped by Wilkerson on the Patriots, who, by the way, adding more context in here, Wilkerson has also dropped a couple passes in practice as well. So I think that's really more of a him thing than it is a Mac Jones thing. Um, So that touchdown was off the board. And then he had another deep ball that was like just out of reach down the field for Gunnar Olszewski. And I put that down as a negative for him because it could have been a little bit better thrown. But still, that was like a big play that was just like inches away from happening. So my point being, like, I think his stat line could have looked a lot better than it really did. It wasn't that far off. He did have a couple balls that were thrown low. And also, obviously, you're not going to see him create at all when things kind of go awry and pressure is kind of coming down on him. Um, But based on what I saw out of Mac Jones in practice against the Eagles, too, uh, again, unfair advantage here, I guess, for him because I I got to see this. But uh, I thought he looked pretty good early on in practice when he was working with the starters, especially in seven on seven and one on one. Now, late in practice stats, he was with the third team. Didn't look as good. He threw up two uh, arm punts, basically, that were <laughs> dropped by the Eagles secondary. Uh, really should have been picks. He did have a good throw to finish practice, so he kind of finished on a high note to uh, Nikhil Harry there. Um, but, yeah, I, I just liked what I saw out of him. I don't think he's going to be any kind of special player still. I think he's kind of like maybe a less losery Kirk Cousins to me. <laughs> and uh, But still, I think there is like uh, a ceiling here. Or, or, or there's, yeah, there's a 
uh, or whatever, however you want to phrase it. There's a floor here that makes you kind of give, gives you a comfort level of what he's going to be. I don't think he's going to come in and be a disaster. And honestly, um, I'm not very impressed with what I've seen out of Cam stats in practice. It was just one day, but geez, like – I am not buying the oh Cam Newton uh, is totally going to be you know back from what he was last year. Like I still think he is the player that we saw last year, just throwing hospital balls left and right, inaccuracy. Just he just kind of looks cooked, man. So I feel like sooner than later, Mac Jones is going to have to be in there for the Patriots. I thought Matt looked Mac looked good as well. I agree with everything you said. He looked in command. He looked like he knew where to go with the ball. And one of the big things that we heard about him coming out was that he does throw a great deep ball. And you're right, like. I was really impressed with the deep shots down the field. I think that's all Bill Belichick is looking for. I agree with everything you said. Like, I don't know that he's going to be ever be so much better than he is right now. I mean, you know, he'll get experience. He'll get more experience with reading coverages and things like that. So, you know, there's a little room to grow there. But I don't think he's ever going to be like a top five quarterback in the league. But I think he can be really, really good. I think that's all the Patriots want from him. Like they have Cam now and it's weird. Like he makes some wild plays, but he doesn't make like the standard regular run of the mill play. I think Mac Jones will do that for you right now. First reads open. Mac's going to get the ball there. No accuracy issues. Nothing to worry about. Uh, I don't know that he's going to be a special guy, but I think he, I thought he looked good and I think he should win that job as well. And the Patriots are doing the best job of any team when it comes to handling the quarterbacks. Belichick said Cam's the starter right now, and then he hasn't said anything else about it. Cam Newton said yesterday, well, I know what you know to the media. I know what you know about who's going to be the week one starter. Exactly. That's how you do it. And if you want to start Mac Jones, you name him the starter right before the first game, and they don't have 50 million articles about it, and you don't have people constantly talking about it, analyzing every single thing. As usual, the Patriots have it right, and I think that's eventually what's going to happen is Mac's going to be the starter week one. Well, I don't like this sentiment here that the Patriots, we have to bow down to the Patriots and they're always doing it right. But uh, I will say that there is an article up on patspulpit.com that I believe uh, is making the case for Mac Jones. So you're already, you're already seeing that, the calls for that. And and I think we need to see it. I think, you know, maybe you start Cam, see how he does in week one. But I think that lease has to be short because I don't think it's that Mac Jones is like, again, this like crazy talent that you can't possibly have on the sideline. Mm-hmm. I just don't think Cam is good anymore. And I think Mac is probably better that like Mac Jones with the starters from what I saw in practice, like looked better than Cam did with the starters as well. Um, I was actually about to like maybe tweet it or uh, or text it to some people yesterday at one point until I saw, I was like, Mac Jones should be starting. And then I saw him throw those interceptions. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I should hold off on this. But then, delete, 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 delete. Well, I thought about later. I was like, okay, but he was playing the third stringers. Like that's, that's not an environment where he's going to thrive. Mac Jones is never going to elevate the talent like around him in a big way. But when he has the pieces in place and he can kind of be a cog in the machine, like a Jimmy G or someone like that, then he, he right. can do that and they can have some level of success. Um, but yeah, that's where it's at right now. I think there's another aspect to this, which is people like Cam has like a magnetism. People like him. A lot of the players grew up watching Cam Newton and at his peak, he was an MVP player. So at least if you're the Patriots, you're like, hey, if he can regain his form, he could be an MVP. Like it's not like Andy Dalton, where if he's as good as he ever was, he's still not that good. So there's I think like there's an aspect to that where the locker room like guys kind of might be siding towards Cam if it's close. Not that Bill Belichick cares about that, I guess, but I think that does sort of go into the stew when you're trying to make your decision. Whereas like in San Francisco or Chicago, I feel like when guys are seeing Lance and Fields make these ridiculous throws in practice, they're going to be like, what the hell are we doing? Why aren't we starting this guy? I don't think necessarily the same applies in New England. All right, stats. Well, that does it for my top five. I'm I'm stunned that you had Lance as high as you did. Like that made me feel good because I'm trying not to be a homer, but you made me feel good there. So just to recap the order, it was Trevor Lawrence five. Mm-hmm. It was Zach Wilson four. Zach, I forgot his name. <laughs> Zach Wilson four. Justin Fields three. Trey Lance two, and then Mac Jones number one. There you go. As usual, it is the only 100% totally accurate power rankings. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk with Lee Adams, one of the hosts of the Glad You Asked show, YouTube show for Vox. Like I said before, it is entirely possible that we have been getting incorrect medical treatment our entire lives. We will explain why when we come back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge... That takes a team. 
Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the SB Nation NFL show, where we are very pleased and privileged to be joined by lee adams one of the hosts of vox media's glad you asked youtube show what's up lee not too much man thanks for having me no problem so you did there's a ton of good episodes but you did an episode about the role of race and medicine and that sort of brought you into the nfl world uh because you came into contact with keevan henry who of course played in the league for years Let's kind of start at the beginning of this thing. When you decided to make this episode, did you think that you would be uh, pulled into the NFL world? Not at all. I mean, originally, we were sort of introduced to the idea of race and medicine and race norming more specifically, as we'll talk about, um, because it's a really controversial subject. There's a lot of research and dialogue happening around it right now. And we knew we needed to do something around race and medicine because of, you know, the way vaccinations were happening across the country and how the pandemic was playing out and sort of exposing a lot of these these discrepancies. And when we started to look into the role of race and medicine and why, you know, you check a box for race when you show up at the doctor's office, um, what that actually means, where it came from and why it exists in the first place. Uh, And it sort of led us to this point where we learned about what race norming is, how it functions in the medical field and how it's actually affecting guys like Keevan in the NFL right now. Um, And, you know, as we'll get into it, I'm sure there's a lot going on when it comes to the concussion settlement and how race norming is playing a factor in that. I had never heard the term race norming before I heard it associated with the NFL concussion settlement. So if someone didn't read any of one of those articles or hear about it, can you just explain what it is for people that might not know? Yeah. So basically, when you go to the doctor, right, um, let's say, you know, a lot of kids in America suffer with, uh, you know, different problems with their lung function. Um, So let's say you go to the pulmonologist, right? And when you check in at the desk with the nurse or whoever is, you know, working the reception area, they're going to check a box for you, right? You're not going to have the opportunity to do it. They're going to take some of your information, look at your ID, check a box, whether you're white, black, um, Asian, or, you know, other. And what ends up happening is when you go use some of these medical tools, they have corrections built in them that adjust your results based on race. They recalibrate your results based on what race you are. And this is really controversial right now in medicine because, A, the idea of race norming and the practice of race norming, um, people have linked it to the pseudoscience of phrenology, which was used during slavery to justify why, you know, enslaved Africans were genetically predisposed to slave labor, like their bodies were built for it. Um, And so what race norming is, it's like a correction that's built into certain medical tools and certain medical tests that recalibrates your results um, according to what race you are, what gender you are, what weight you might be. And the people who are large proponents of race norming say that this is really important 
because if we don't have these corrections, everyone's going to get compared to white males. It's not, you know, like an institute, uh, a tool of racism. It's really just, that's just the standard of medicine. That's who a lot of tests are run on. Um, and that's how we kind of decide what is or isn't healthy, what is or isn't abnormal, right? So to keep with our earlier um, example, you take your kid to the doctor because you think they might have asthma. Uh, your kid's going to blow into this thing called a spirometer, and it's going to measure the amount of air they're able to get out of their lungs in one breath. And if you're black, it's going to adjust how effective your lungs are compared to a white male. So I, I use this barometer when I blew into it and I adjusted and I had my race adjustment for black, I was in the 98th percentile of health, right? So perfectly healthy almost. When I blew into it for white, my lungs were considered mildly abnormal. And the reason why proponents of race norming think this is important is because if you were an Asian woman and you appeared at the ER, right? And you were concerned that you were showing signs of, you know, heart attack. Uh, if we didn't have race norming, certain doctors believe, certain medical researchers believe that you wouldn't meet the standards that qualify for the hospital to admit you because they would be comparing you to a white male. So you wouldn't be presenting these sorts of risks in the same way. And you might be dismissed, walk out into the parking lot, have a heart attack and die. That's why it's important. So there's a lot of debate going on and it's a hard question to answer because we don't actually know whether or not race norming is a good or bad thing. But we have a lot of examples of it being misused and misappropriated in different ways. And the NFL is one of these examples. So how is the NFL misusing it then? So uh, for those unfamiliar with the concussion protocol settlement, right? Um, the NFL has agreed to provide, whether it's like compensation, monetary compensation, or um, medical treatment and different therapies to athletes who played in the NFL and show some amount of, um, you know, mental sort of degradation. Right. And the NFL needs you to be tested by one of the doctors that they've pre-selected. And then those results will be analyzed and checked and rechecked. And then they'll decide what the payout should be, whether it's going to be some amount of money or whether it's going to be, um, you know, some sort of medical treatment, uh, what was happening was the NFL was using race norming. So let's take one step back. The NFL is a majority black league, right? And the way that the concussion settlement program is set up, there's no cap on how much money that they can pay out in one of the, to any individual athlete and any number of athletes, uh, therefore, you know, after that. So they could decide that you have suffered so much, um, trauma to your brain that, you know, you're entitled to millions of dollars, basically. And this mm -hmm. is for hundreds of like hundreds and thousands of players. Um, so the NFL was using race norming to adjust the scores of these black athletes, a majority black athletes who are, uh, you know, being tested and evaluated uh, to say that their cognitive functioning was lower than their white counterparts before they got into the league. And so Keevan Henry um, and a guy named Najee Davenport sued saying that this was discriminatory in nature. And Keevan specifically was diagnosed with mild dementia in his early 50s as a direct result of his time spent playing for the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. And when I had the opportunity to meet him, you know, I don't know how often people get time spent with former NFL athletes. I'm sure you've spent a little bit of time with them as well you know, Keevan is like not functioning at the same rate as a regular 50 or like my dad, right. Who's the same age as him. Um, and he has like sensitivity to light. He wakes up with, in, you know, a ton of pain. Uh, he's taking Advil basically constantly all day long. Um, and he has re a lot of difficulty with memory. And when you think about this, a lot of people will say to themselves, well, you know, NFL athletes got paid millions of dollars over the course of, you know, years, uh, they should be able to take care of themselves once they retire. Like it was, everyone knows it's not a forever job. It's in the NFL, it's not for long, right? But he's physically incapable of having another job. He can't work anymore. So the money that he would have been entitled to through the concussion settlement program would have actually been able to help him live comfortably uh, for the next, you know, 40 years of his life, 50 years of his life, potentially. Um, 
he was diagnosed with mild dementia and the NFL due to race norming decided that he was not entitled to any money, any compensation, any medical treatment whatsoever. He did not meet their standard um, of like cognitive decline because of the fact that race norming was being used uh, to essentially assert that black players were entering the NFL at a lower level of cognitive function. Basically, he already had mild dementia before he started playing football. And in a league that is overwhelmingly black, where a number of the you know, people who are going to appeal for treatment and compensation after they retire are going to be black. If you have a tool that's going to help you, this is just me speculating, mm-hmm. but if you have a tool that you can use to help you not pay out that money, you're going to use it. And for the NFL and to Keevan Henry and Najee Davenport, um, that was race norming. They thought they were using it to avoid paying out players who need this care. Um, and that's basically like what was at the center of their lawsuit. And now it's being re-arbitrated um, outside of court to see if they can sort of reevaluate these players without making use of race norming. Right. So essentially what you're saying is, and you, I thought you put it pretty succinctly, is that essentially if you were, they, the payouts are in terms of your level of impairment. That's right. So if you're just supposedly functioning at a lower level going in, you are therefore less impaired. And so you get less money. And you which have is, to show a much greater level of cognitive decline. Yes. Which is insane. Like, how could this happen? Like, how could anybody get in any room and just be cool with this and say, yep, this is the angle that we're going to go with? It's, it's kind of like it's a really hard thing to stomach, especially when you look at all of the things that the NFL has been pledging to do and like been very visible about black lives matter and equality and all these things. And the NFL is for everybody and all like, there's all this outward PR going on where they're trying to seem like a more progressive league. And at the very same time, they're looking for ways to not compensate these players who in some situations desperately need this help. Um, And it, Almost, it seems like it should be illegal, like it's, it's insane. But you have to think about it. The NFL doesn't have, you know, endless amounts of money. And theoretically, again, there's no cap on how much they have to pay these players. So theoretically speaking, it isn't outside the realm of possibility that they could bankrupt themselves through the concussion settlement program because they're going to have to pay these guys because these guys are coming out of the league and they are not all right. I mean, we just, you know, we're seeing these CTE tests that are coming out where 98% of the people tested or, you know, their brains post-mortem were showing signs of CTE and the plaque buildup. Like it's insane. Yes. They don't have an infinite amount of money. They got a lot it's of money. Pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> They're they doing okay. We don't have to hold any bake sales for the right. NFL. Right. Um, and so we're in a league where more than half of all retirees are black. Obviously this is a massive issue, but yep. it doesn't just relate to, retired players, right? Because you're telling me that our medical treatment differs based on race. And so the players that we love and cheer for and and are watching right now could theoretically be getting improper care and treatment because of their race. 100%. And that's like at the crux of the episode is, are we misdiagnosing? Are we um, underdiagnosing people because of these race corrections and what we don't know about them? And ultimately, where we get to in the episode is trying to understand this thing that's being called precision medicine, right, where we need to start catering medicine, not to not trying to decide whether or not you're healthy based on a bunch of people just like you, like height, weight, race, age, um, but whether or not you're healthy, like what does your genetic code and what does your body say about what is healthy for you? And that's what people are calling precision medicine. And that's kind of the future that we're moving toward. But it's not really, there's a really good example that someone told me. Um, if you are diagnosed with a tumor in New York city, there's a really good chance that, um, they're going to sequence that genetically sequence that tumor, find out exactly where they need to tailor a cocktail of drugs to attack that tumor. And they're going to be able have a much better chance of beating that cancer. If you get that same tumor in Wyoming, you're just going to die. They do not have the medical resources to perform these same tests. And that's kind of the problem with precision medicine right now is that the resources necessary to tailor medical treatment just around you, they don't exist everywhere and it's really expensive. It's not an easily accomplished thing. So when it comes to race norming, it's like, 
it's kind of a necessary evil, but it's also not a best practice. What is the best practice? Yeah, it would be like the, the ideal world would be every med, every person who needs medical treatment would get genetically sequenced and then their genome would be analyzed. And this is kind of where we end up in the episode. We speak with um, one of the founders of the All of Us Project at, uh, at Columbia and you know, they talk about how like, that's the ideal, that's where the field of medicine should be moving is where we're tailoring all of our treatment directly around you. We're looking at what's in your genetic code and how we can best, best strengthen, you know, your body and your health by looking at what you need individually and not using these sort of, you know, very vague measurements that depend on you and however many other people that are the same age, height, weight, and race which are not good proxies for medicine. Right. Like you go to a tailor, they take your measurements and then they cut the clothes to fit you. Exactly. They don't just say, oh, you're a random person. Well, let's just sew the clothes to the average height and weight of a person that looks like you. Right. You might wear 44 long, but it's still not going to look good until the tailor gets to touch it. Otherwise, you're just wearing this big, boxy, weird suit that kind of fits, but doesn't really. 44 long. <laughs> That, that, that ain't going to fit me. I'll just say that. <laughs> uh, the show is called Glad You Asked. It's on YouTube. Premium subscribers can check out the episode on race and medicine right now. If not, you wait till August 25th. You should definitely go and check it out. Uh, there's a ton of stuff in there that we didn't even get to about, you know, you took a 23andMe test, which was a fantastic twist in the episode. <laughs> uh, you should definitely go and check it out. Lee Adams, thank you very much for the time. Rob, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thanks again to Lee Adams for hopping on. All right, BOG, RIP your mentions when this comes out, because I'm sure you're going to get lots of hate. So are you prepared for that? I know Windy City Gridiron is just going to freaking destroy me and all the, the Bears fans. Again, I love Chicago, so it's really devastating to me that the people, the, the great people of Chicago <laughs> uh, are going to try to uh, burn my house down. Hopefully not, you know, just, just figuratively, not actually literally. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so looking forward to that. But hey, I can take it at Brandon Gotten on Twitter, Instagram, wherever you want to tag me. And then if, you know, Windy City Gridiron or whoever else you listen to this and you, you, you know, you want to come on the show, then we'll have you on the show and we'll hash it out. Yes, absolutely. You already got Baltimore beat down on our list. Now they're always keeping an eye out for Lamar Jackson hate from you. And now Windy City Gridiron will be there as well. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the SB Nation NFL show. If you have a question, leave it in your review and we will answer it. BLG, enjoy your Tuesday, man. I'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.